Today's episode is brought to you by the Vegas Beer Guys and the Sounds and Cinema Podcast. The Everything Sequel Podcast contains explicit language. Because we learned it from you, Dad. Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Twilight Saga. Today we're doing Breaking Dawn Part 2. My name is Michael Shunks of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, your friend and mine, the man in love with the Twilight Saga, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Hello, Tom. He is unusually well preserved. <laughs> I gotta say, I really did not expect the man that Bella was meeting in Seattle to be Bunk from The Wire. Well, I know! I've got a note here that says, THE BUNK! Exclamation point! I mean, you know, if you if you had me guess who she was gonna meet, it would have been days before I came up with Bunk. <laughs> not only because there's like three black people in the entire saga, but... right. But also, well, I, but it's interesting because, I mean, that's just that's just a, you know, a, a cameo, a nice little optional pleasure. But it speaks to a larger trend that I see in this movie of of the Twilight Saga trying to poach yeah. some of the viewers from uh, HBO's True Blood. Mm-hmm. Because that's... Um, Eventually Mr. Robot. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, because... Yeah, absolutely. Because um, True Blood is, for those of you who, who've never never heard of it, uh, it's kind of like a adult, sophisticated doppelganger of Twilight right. in many yeah. ways. And um, it's interesting, there's lots of moments in this movie where I felt that they were trying to uh, emulate the look and feel of a HBO series in a way that the other movies in, the, in this... Just franchise, this movie, you're saying? Yeah, I mean, okay. there's a general sense of like we want we want to class. I think you know when you put bunk in your movie, you know you want to class up the joint a bit, a little. But the, that's that's just that's like, why you call Wendell Pierce, right? Exactly. But um, I also got this the sense that they they wanted it to to sort of uh, they they wanted it to be on the same level as like a really good HBO miniseries on the subject. <laughs> Well, they clearly must have had that on the on their minds somewhat because Bill Condon is back, as we've previously discussed, yeah. and he is, of course, an Oscar winner for mm-hmm. writing. Um, you know, like the second movie, this this bumps up the Rotten Tomatoes meter, Tom. This movie's at forty nine percent. This movie's the high watermark for the series. That's they got interesting. That, they got that wrong by I think one percent. What did we say was? Uh, Eclipse forty eight percent. Yeah. So so, so but but parity parity across the two. The yeah. Two so so you got two of them sitting in the twenties and two of them sitting in the high forties, which to me hmm. is interesting. This movie highest budget. I don't get the sense million. that they get better. What's that? That would suggest that these movies sort right. of climb every time. I don't think that's the case. That's not the case. No. <laughs> So a budget of 120 million, opening weekend of 141 million, 292.3 in the USA, under 
Eclipse, which I think had the most in the USA, 300 million of the yeah. sequels at least. Uh, but worldwide, this is the most, uh, 829.7 million. The, I mean, the to be to be expected for the last in the series, I suppose. Yeah, probably. And I guess the one that travels around the most geographically, too. Is that right? I mean, well, yeah, we go to we go to a bunch of different countries in this one. That's true. But I mean, briefly. Brief. Obviously. Yeah, I was gonna say, but it's brief. Yeah, but all, so far we've only been to Rome, right? That's and Roman and- Rio. And Rio, right. Roman Rio, um, but now we're in Egypt, the Amazon. <laughs> right. Uh, London, of course, because it's 2012. Right, And there's a, there's a new Bond film it, it, out, and it's an Olympic and year. And it's an Olympic year, I was going to say. <laughs> you couldn't you couldn't move for, for movies going to London in 2012. <laughs> All right, well, I ranked this as my second favorite in the series. With the caveat, just because of Michael Sheen and his He's very ridiculous, good. over-the-top, wonderful acting, which yeah. I adore. And He never this... phones it in, does he? No. This one was last on your list, though, isn't it? I think it is, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, to go back to those Rotten, Rotten Tomato ratings, you know, th- th- there's, there's so little between these movies for me. Yeah. Um, and I've... You know, I've narrowed it down to a few, as we said in the last episode, shit the bed moments. Um, we have to choose which shit the bed moments we hate the most. Yeah. Although I, I, I feel I, I also feel that th- this is the least room in. I think opposite to what they're trying to do by, because this seems more ambitious in lots of ways. Uh-huh. But I actually think that makes it le- the least remarkable of the movies. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that aspect, the, like the the I guess because the epic, you're saying the they epic failed? scale of it, okay, doesn't re- they don't really pull that off. It just for me at least it feels like over well, complications. Well, I'll I'll completely admit that it does not have a Ben Hur feeling if that's what you're talking about. Well, yeah, but I mean it's I it's not Lawrence of Arabia. No, but I thought that like when when we started when I realized that this movie would involve more vampires than we've seen so far, <laughs> I thought, okay, that's good because I don't think we've seen enough vampires yet. Uh-huh. And then by the end, I was like, that's too many vampires, <laughs> too many. Because they're all just milling about in the Cullen Irish vampire, the Irish vampires. I was like, that's that's too many. <laughs> The Irish vampires who don't speak. I was like, that's, you've got too many characters, guys. You sure this isn't just a residual hate for the Irish? No, I'm not, uh, uh, what's he called? Nigel Neal, writing right. Halloween 3. There you go. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. But whoever wrote this movie hates the Irish, too. Right. Yeah, exactly. Because they look like, you know, they look like uh they they look racist. And apparently <laughs> what distinguishes them from other vampires is their thirst. <laughs> I right. mean, you couldn't you couldn't really get a clearer uh idea drunk, of drunk stereotype. Right. <laughs> and that's like 
it's it's you know they're in the movie for minutes so it's efficient but it's you know appalling (laughs) (laughs) oh fuck these movies yeah you you love them all Hey, th- so I want to qualify this a little bit because All I don't. Right. I mean, you, you, you've been, you've been saying, you know, you've been saying Twilight lover, <laughs> in love with the Twilights, and you know what? I mean, I, the the stuff about these movies I love, but to me, it really you is more about. You declared them all good movies. It's oh, really to me all about fascination. Like, <laughs> there are certain cultural properties that I have a fascination with. I've already made the Velveeta comparison. Um, you know, lifetime movies. I've said you said that. I put that in in the same bracket. It's like not, right. not quite a thing, but also not not a thing. <laughs> like I'm obsessed with any cultural property that's like that. Right. You know, like reality shows like Ninety Day Fiance. It's like it's not. You know, it's not all re- It's not a, like a real documentary. But why can't I keep my eyes off it? <laughs> <laughs> Because so I, just I to qualify, would say it's qualify that a bad. little bit. I'm aware of all the pitfalls. All right. It's just that my fascination overrides that every time. But this does have referencing back to our uh, our introductory episode, our ranking episode. This does have one of our favorite lines, right? The Loch Ness yeah, Monster line. <laughs> the Loch Ness Monster line. Yeah. Fucking great. Yeah, it is great. And that's right at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. But that's after Baby Mama Vampire Hunt, which was a right. bit of a CGI nightmare. But it, yeah, it is. I I I I had a note that said was was 2012 just a bad year for CGI? Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> that is like I was like everything it just looks a little off. Well, and so like that like it wasn't working that day or right. something. <laughs> because. All it does for them narratively is gives them the opportunity to, and I, I, you know, I guess it's a pretty solid joke, but she talks about how he can read minds and they just have a cover line for why she's not murdering everybody because there's been nothing but four straight movies of talking about when you're, when you're a new vampire, right. you're just a bloodthirsty monster. You can't, you can't control yourself at all. And then yeah. Stephanie Meyer has obviously had to, you know, retcon that shit. So, yeah. so that's her superpower is she does not kill the man who's, who's free climbing <laughs> on the also, side of a mountain. It, yeah, and, and I also had the thought is like, you know, I know it's like surely parkour is now fading from popularity by 2012 it's like we don't need we don't need to have it anymore <laughs> especially when it's not actually the per, you know it and it only really works when it's the person doing it that you see if it's oh, just right. an effect uh you know i could i could be seen doing it you could just you just digitally move my body around you know <laughs> but also it's like because because of that exact problem it, with the with the storytelling and consistency it kind of feels like she just forgot about her bloodlust for a few minutes right at exactly the right moment in so the yeah, the someone. precise moment so yeah but that again is, it uh, just sort of lends itself to 
to, to the it, it really in the whole series like this series is just making shit up as it goes yeah to suit to suit itself i i don't I, I but mean, it doesn't make me mad like, your, like your memory of the original is better than mine do they do they do they ever talk about how vampires can go out in the sun with seemingly no problem they uh, near as i can remember he just takes his shirt off and his sparkly diamond and, and he's just showing Bella. And I think she just says, oh, it's like diamonds. It's very yeah. romantic. Yeah. So I guess I guess if that's your baseline of vampires walking around in the daytime, pretty much all bets are off mythologically. Yeah. Because they don't... Is it? I think it's Bra, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula where they have that really clunky piece of exposition that says ah oh, but vampires can come out during the day it's well known <laughs> bullshit <laughs> right you wanted them out in the day that's <laughs> you wanted to film day i wonder how in the in the end i like i wonder how much bram stoker's dracula uh could be seen as like an inspiration for this because it, it that that movie to me really turned the tide in the vampire genre towards romance Mm-hmm. As being like, as as being like one of the draws of the vampire story, in a way that don't think it had necessarily been before. All those those two kind of Transylvanian vampires aren't. They're not very romantic in this movie. <laughs> oh, the Russians. Yeah. You mean the the, the Russian vampires who. Uh, want to get want to kill uh, the Ita- what they the call Volturi. Italian scum? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Even though they look, sound, and act more Italian than anyone. Yeah, exactly. And any of the Roman vampires <laughs> makes zero sense. <laughs> but well, even yeah. though they're supposed to be Russian, you get that very sense. You get that that really like classic Dracula voice coming from them. Is that what that was supposed to be? I think. I mean, it sounded wow. like it to me. It sounded like because um, there were times when I was hearing this. Oh, it sounded like uh, uh, the chef Tony in Lady and the Tramp to me. <laughs> it's a nicer day to make a pizza. You know that kind of. That's what it sounded like to me. Well, once again, I mean, we're still kind of dealing with, you know, ravage misunderstandings. <laughs> yes, right? absolutely. So we're still dealing with. Oh, who who's the cousin? What's that character's name? I love that AD sitcom. Who's the cousin? <laughs> you know who I mean, though. Rose? Maggie Grace's character. Oh, Maggie Maggie Grace. Arena. Yeah. Well, well, she, we, we, again, like, you know, she was strategically placed in the last movie, shown, like, you, we knew she was going to stir up trouble at some point, right? Right. But it's not a misunderstanding. They did kill her, 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 uh, her cousin. What's his name? Well, no, the misunderstanding in this one is she sees the child. Right. Like, and and sees, you know, what is it? Renesme, Nessie, <laughs> Nessie. <laughs> sees Nessie. How old? Seven. 
Oh. And she was just born the other day, so now she thinks that we're dealing with... Uh, what is it they're upset about? I can't even fucking remember what the Volturi <laughs> are upset, upset about, They're upset because they think... They think that she's, you know, they think that she is like the um, the homunculus golem baby, right? I I was gonna say I was gonna say they're upset that she's immortal, but they're all immortal. Why, why a, are they upset? It's a challenge. It's a challenge to their power base. All right, fine. I think. Um, but yes, yes, we're still in this sort of web of misunderstanding i think what or maybe what maybe a, were they upset that she would not be immortal so she'd be a mortal vampire is that what they're upset about they, i don't think see... so i think i think they see her they see her as a threat and they think that she's going to destroy vampire society as we know it i think something has to do with the age because they have the evidence they bring at the end of the movie from the fucking amazon it was like a, a thing that he stopped. Yeah, aging. you may be right. I just thought that was for that was for Bella's benefit, knowing that she wasn't gonna have to live without her child for thousands of years. Right. But either way, <laughs> all right, it all works out fine. That's what this movie's about, everyone. Yeah, it all works out fine, um, <laughs> and. We get to we, we we get to see a big battle where everyone dies, and somehow it still works out okay. Yeah, exactly. So I think that was the right call narratively for this movie. I'm going to save it for the end, but I have I have questions about the battle for you. But we'll we'll keep. We'll keep it was it. a vision, Mike. Mike, it, it was a vision. It wasn't. I real. know. Was a vision. It's one of my questions. I have questions about visions. I don't have any questions about I that know, battle. I know you. I understand what I understand. You know, I've seen Final <laughs> Destination. I know everything there is to know about the vision walk back after seeing five of those movies. Wait, I've got it. The what? Voltori think that it's an immortal child. You can't be. So they think that that the child's not growing. That's what they think. They think. <laughs> Do I have that? Well, I don't. Why would that be a problem for them? I don't know. If it's the child's against, not it's, growing, I think it's just against the rules. I have a note here that says, "Voltori think immortal child." Right. I think it's the child part they don't like. Hmm. Okay. Anyway, so we have. At the front of this movie, we have the the piece of narration that tells us that Bella won't be the the bloodthirsty monster that she's supposed to be as a youngling, right? And we can see that Nessie's growing up. Mm-hmm. And then they get their new house. Right. Yes. I have questions about this new house. What? Why are you always so? Why are you always so have so many questions? <laughs> what? <laughs> they're just doing. They're doing all the milestones of a married couple. You know, marriage, sex. That baby, part makes house. sense. But I'm just saying, this house looked like it looked like the vampires took axe to the middle of a forest and just built a house, not near a road. Like I, <laughs> that house looked like it was on the side of a mountain with like no plumbing. Yeah, <laughs> possible. Mm-hmm. 
because there's there's no road to it. Right. Well, I, I, these are practical questions I have, Tom. Does that matter when you vampires? I guess they don't when poop, you're when you're so it two, doesn't matter when you're two vampires and you know you're the 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 uh, the stepfather of your child is a wolf. <laughs> you're probably okay, right? To not have a road around. You're not worried. Yeah. All right. Fine. No, uh, I, no, I, I, it's, 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 yes, it's not. Uh, what do you, what do you think about the, the, va- the vampire sex? Oh, I have too much to vampire say. Vampire on vampire sex, I should say. I'll tell you what. what. You pose the question. I'll answer it when we come back. <laughs> right after this, everybody. We'll be as fast as vampire sex, people. <laughs> there you go. I like to think I know something about beer, but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing the Twilight Saga, Breaking Dawn Part 2. The 2012 film directed by Bill Condon. When last we left you, Tom was asking about vampire sex. Here are my thoughts. Oh, okay. I think I told I think I told you this off air. <laughs> More than one thought. Wow. Or did I tell you this on air? I can't remember when we discussed the fact that this movie, or I guess it was the last movie, was almost rated R. Yeah. Because of the thrusting of Kristen mm-hmm. Stewart. And then in this movie, I mean, all you see is just sort of, there's like a music montage of sex, isn't there? All I remember is her afterwards saying, uh, boy, you really were holding back before, weren't you? Mm. Which to me just means like they're just having good, strong vampire fucking. Yeah. <laughs> and but, more power mean- to her. Yeah, which but what we see is like human sex, but in bullet time. <laughs> yeah, that's true, right? <laughs> which it kind of, um, which for me raised a lot of 
conceptual questions about vampire sex. <laughs> Go on. Uh, I guess more con- more conceptual questions about what we see as non-vampires watching vampire sex. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because because prior to this movie, you know, and I and I can't you can't overstate this enough. This is the first movie in which Bella is herself a vampire. Right. And it changes everything. And so far we've we've only seen her have sex with a vampire, but this is a vampire having sex with a vampire. And yet they're both going fast. But so who's I what I'm saying is whose perspective are we seeing this from? Because if we're if we're seeing it from their perspective, from Tom, perspective, it shouldn't be together. fast. It should just feel normal. It well, should just be their normal speed. But we're seeing it. I guess that's saying that you know we're not vampires, and this is how. Yeah, they do the same the whenever they're running, though. What did they do the blur thing during the during the thrusting? <laughs> <laughs> I interestingly don't have a note about that because I don't um, remember that. Yeah. So that that was. That was a, uh, that was interesting to me, uh, because but it was also interesting because I guess so bullet you know like uh, bullet time is like slow and fast at the same time isn't it it's like yeah fast, it's... fast fast slow fast 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 slow right um and it and it's in... slow spin fast slow <laughs> yeah. Uh, and True Blood which you know we've already talked about like is it like the the I mean. You say that you know, you said that they're trying to have as little sex as possible here, so they can kind of keep it on the you know on the right side of the R rating. Mm-hmm. True Blood is exactly the opposite. All oh, right, it's literally like everybody's the, fucking everybody. The pilot, oh, the pilot episode is like just like vampire vampire drilling, and it's like you know, it's like <laughs> like someone working on a you know piece of granite to get through get through yeah trying to get <laughs> yeah. through concrete yeah um so it's interesting that you know that um variation on it uh and i wonder how much this is like the safe alternative to to that kind of vampire um vampire drilling we get in true blood <laughs> all i know is the people who've made this have seen true blood and that they they want to they they uh they want to speak to that but they also want but to be romantically in yeah because this is all through the lens of that's it yeah it's like lust versus love yeah this is basically. all through the 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 you know lens of a lace slip right <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's you know one of the things i always like about all these movies is that Despite ongoing ongoing plot, plot tensions, they let the central couple have their their intimate time. I like that. Yeah, and they never, you know, in 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 every other movie series, you would be like building and building, but this series never is never afraid to pull back from whatever is going on externally and just let the couple, um, you know, have romantic time. Yeah. Uh, and that's nice, because that is distinctive. And so, as I understand it, because like the the not as I understand, it, but as I remember, because the front <laughs> the front half of this movie is first they have to prove that Nessie is just a regular human child, right? Like to the family. Mm-hmm. 
She's growing yeah. at an alarming rate, but she's human. Right. Right? Yeah. So let's all just calm down. And I, And so the Volturi are, yeah, I think I had that right. They're upset that she's human, but immortal. Right. And then... She's, she's from Zeist. <laughs> she's a Zeistian. <laughs> For those of you who don't know what we're talking about, Highlander 2, watch along. Oh, yeah. But it's, uh, she's growing at an alarming rate, but she's going to stop growing in about seven years. Mm-hmm. She'll just be an adult quickly. Yeah. And then she has a regular life, right? As far as we know. All right. So, again, big misunderstanding. The Volturi are gathering themselves uh, their army. And then the Cullens decide they will gather an army in case they have to fight. Yeah, but they're going to try diplomatic relations first. There's some political theater in this (laughs) one that I kind of enjoyed. I I kind of enjoyed the... The Senate-like hearing on top of the snowy mountain. Definitely. It also reminded me, well, certainly when they set Maggie Grace on fire, it reminded me of the Crucible as well. Yes, absolutely. Like a kind of witch-burning trial. Witch trial. Uh, But, yeah, and, you know, and I like when, you know, we'll talk about the battle in more detail later. I I like that when it does come, it's like trench warfare, so it's like people standing in a in you know two orderly lines. Yes, right. And then <laughs> and occasionally attacking each other. Right. Very very civilized. What I also like about the Maggie Grace moment is that she she like from quite a distance too, mm-hmm. not 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 maybe not quite as far as she was on top of the mountain when she first saw the child. <laughs> yes. But enough distance to not be able to tell that she's human instead of a vampire. But right. it's, but it's, it's, she still has the moment where she just sort of mouths to her family, I'm sorry. Yeah. That's the level of misunderstanding that this battle is taking place for. Yeah. Her just saying, ah, oh, sh- shit, my bad. And even though the plot is advancing exactly as Mike is describing, the baby is still digital. Yeah. So let's talk about N- Nessie is still a deep fake, a deep fake toddler. Let's talk about the shitting the bed. How, so yeah. this, I, I think, mean, I think this is I, I, you said you couldn't on, get on. over it. So that's why this is at the bottom, right? Because you could not get yeah, over. Yeah. Well, the this deep is a big part baby. of why. It's, it's a big part of, of of why it's at the bottom, but there were there were ancillary reasons. Okay, I just think conceptually this doesn't work as well as the others for me. Um, and it's always a risk when you open out, you know, because it's such a the the previous three move three movies that we've seen are such they work on a domestic scale really well. And obviously, this movie is trying to switch that around and have it be more expansive and global, mm-hmm. and you know, more of a a kind of. Uh, but it also means we have to spend a good solid forty minutes introducing ourselves to vampires in pairs. Yeah. As they arrive to the Cullen house. Right. <laughs> and 
you know, and and it, it's it's fine. I like I. These are all movies of two halves in that the first half is kind of exploring character at a leisurely pace. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they become more story concerned in the last sort of half or third of the movie. And this does that too. Yeah. But it's such, it's a big, um, big change in, you know, we go from this very contained story that's in one place about a f- one family to it sprawls out yeah yeah to like you know a bond movie basically <laughs> or uh <laughs> you it's like we're going everywhere we can in the world we're 30 minutes in everyone yeah i feel like um, you might mention bond before though no not in the series i don't think really yeah i find that hard to um believe. so so it's not my it's not my favorite but i i, I this I I like going back to your um to the the retconning of of uh, Bella's blood uh, newborn bloodlust. Mm-hmm. I kind of one of the things I do like about this movie is it does have an answer for everything. Right. <laughs> so I yeah. had like I had a note uh, early on in the movie. It's like I I understand that like this his story is more or less unfolding in real time, but she needs to call her dad. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> I was, I was just like, I can't keep suspending disbelief that, that, uh, like the parents haven't been informed that their grandchild has been born. Mm-hmm. And then you know, pretty, I mean, a little bit late, but not too late in the story. That exact thing happens. So yes, I was just gonna say, not only does that thing happen, but here's my question, because at one point. Charlie sees the kid and this is when it's is it still deep fake? Because she's <laughs> could like, be. She if it's in the first two thirds of the movie, it is. She's like a seven year old child. It's only not deep fake in the final scene. Right. Okay. Yeah. So when she visits Charlie, deep fake, right? <laughs> I believe so, yeah. To anyway, she looks like a five, six, seven year old child, and he says Wow, she's gotten big. <laughs> Fucking hell. But this child is only like two weeks old to him, right? Do they ever answer that question? Like, they, I, I don't remember no. anything being explained to Charlie. You're going right. to see. Because he's told, oh, maybe, maybe he's told they adopted someone, but didn't. Yeah, I think, I think that's <clears throat> the, the workaround. But, um, but don't they, don't they show him of... the, the baby at one point? In the previous remember. movie, a, like a, a a literal baby. Mm. It um, in terms of explaining things to Charlie. <laughs> oh, well, there's a big my, one. My my biggest my biggest question was along well, the lines they, with the uh... again they have an answer for everything. They come up with a compromise. It's like they're not gonna tell him what's going on, but they're gonna tell him that Jacob's a wolf. Tell them that Jacob's a wolf. By the way, they're to not stop going him, to... To stop him asking more questions. Yeah, they're not... <laughs> By the way, it's not they're going to tell him. It's Jacob takes it upon himself. That's right. Because once again, this is what this is probably the biggest in the series of he deserves to know. <laughs> but he, he, he deserves to know the most baffling part of this. 
that we're not going to follow up. But he doesn't deserve to know anything else that would actually <laughs> explain what's going on. Right. Because I mean, I, I, I like that scene. You know, Jacob just strips... And Charlie's like, what the fuck is going what is, on? What's happening? Stop it. Put your clothes on. I like on. the way that unfolds again. Like Bill Condon's comic touch is actually quite nice. Um, but in t- but uh, it, at the end of it, I'm like, I'm like, well, that, you know, f- from Charlie's perspective, that must pose more questions than it answers. Yeah, because it's... And yet, and yet his reaction is to not ask any more questions. Right, exactly. As if... There's the well, next... I don't know. Maybe they're right. Maybe they're right in assuming that Charlie is. Charlie will back me- the fuck off. Yeah, that he sees of such limited mental capacity that even the the flavor <laughs> of there being monsters in this world will just like shut his brain down. But also, I'd like to add on top of it this: one, he's a cop; two, <laughs> he's been learning for four straight fucking movies that people are being murdered in the woods by animals. Yeah. Then Jacob presents himself as a 10-foot tall wolf. Yes. Put one and one together, cop. But yeah, how is right. his next question not you are have you been murdering people in the woods? <laughs> oh, I see. Yes. <laughs> that whole plot line forgotten. But it, for this but it movie. also seems like He's put like one and twenty-seven together, <laughs> and to he get kind 56. of he, because he like it's sort of like he doesn't get that aspect, the very simple aspect of oh, it's been wolves. I think even someone tells him it's been wolves, <laughs> right? Um, but because Jacob turns into a wolf in front of him, he's like, oh, my daughter is a vampire married to a vampire <laughs> with a vampire kid. Like, he seems to understand that from Jacob turning into a wolf, which I got to say is a bit of a leap mentally. Wait, you mean like you think he literally knows that? Well, yeah, because there's this there's this unspoken understanding that, oh, I see. Yeah, but on. it's more like because. He... But why? But why would that's why I I mean, the very next scene after Jacob reveals himself is him finally getting to see Bella. He just thought she was sick and dying. He know he knows. And I believe that that's kid... the scene where he sees Nessie as a child and they said we adopted her. But he doesn't buy it. He's suspicious of that. You think? Yeah, he. Th- but he, at one point, because at one point he asks a they question. They play it as if he knows something's up. He asks a question, I think, to Bella. He's like, "You're normal, right? You're not like a wolf." <laughs> and she's like, "Yeah, Dad, of course." Like they're they're basically they're all just a trying to make sure she doesn't eat her father, because she's got super strength and super desire, but again, she can control it. She can control it. Yeah, that's another problem. It's just, to me, it's just the most wonderful black hole where the narrative goes, where people forget things that they should know and just drop it, that I I just, I find it so ridiculously de- delightful. And then the movie tries to distract us with a lot of exotic vampires yes. from, from far-off places. <laughs> Which, you know, as far as smoke screens go, that's pretty good. Amazon vampires. Yeah. 
uh, Cockney vampires, Irish vampires, mm-hmm. Egyptian vampires, Russian vampires. Um, you know, it's it's a surprise to find out that there are vampires that are even more emo goth than Christian Stewart and Robert Patterson in the world. Right. right? Also, I mean, you know, we the, the elephant in the room. We've been burying the lead. Bella is a vampire now. Yeah. It's a big deal. Absolutely. But she was born to be a vampire, Tom. Well, she certainly has more color in her face as a vampire than as a human, which is It's alarming. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then, I mean, the other kind of develop I mean, the other sort of element that we're getting into here once once the <laughs> once the vampires have assembled and I, I don't <laughs> vampires I, assemble. I don't. I don't think the uh, the reference to uh, Avengers is unintentional. They they basically go through like a superhero training uh, section. Yes, that that Jacob even refers to as Jedi training. <laughs> so the. You know, and and each vampire has like a special power, right? X Men style skill, and she's trying to develop hers, Bella. Yeah, that is. So it's, I mean, you know, we've started to get into the Avengers, the MCU universe um, stuff, right? At this at this point, right in history, it started. Oh yeah. Um, the Star Wars movies starting to you know gear up could gear up so i don't think these are accidental um acknowledgements interesting at one point like they say she's a shield all right yeah <laughs> right <laughs> and it that made me like and this is where we're at a disadvantage in not having read both having read the books because at this point, you could determine about, you know, did they just slap on a bunch of MCU and Star Wars references um, to kind of capitalize on the superhero mm-hmm. uh, craze of the time? Or is this something that was ingrained in the books? Yeah, right. About vamp- You know, but the vampires were kind of like X-Men mutants or Jedis. Like, is that something that came... It seems like something from that... It's probably deep part of the mythology of the books to me, right? Yeah, and and you know, I don't think we've mentioned it on this show, but like you know, the origins of Twilight is fan fiction. Mm-hmm. It's Fifty Shades fan fiction. Right? Yeah. Um, I mean, which is a, which is astonishing for so many reasons, because <laughs> given how chaste the storytelling is, <laughs> um. Compared to the, the, but I mean, I suppose, uh, I guess in the honeymoon scenes and in some of the early parts of this movie, you see a little bit of that Fifty Shades, Sex in the City, feeling. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's let's take a break, one more break, and then we'll come back, ladies and gentlemen, and we'll finish up talking about Breaking Dawn Part Two right after this.
If you like podcasts like I do, boy, do I have a treat for you. You need to stay on target and check out the Sounds and Cinema podcast. Listen as your host, sound designer and music creator, Tony Parham, and co-host, musical performer and sound lover, Derek Hansen, D-Rock if you're nasty, and I am, discuss all things sound related to film, television, stage, and theatrical productions. They discuss environmental sounds, bioacoustics, dialogue, the nature of communication through sound, but as an added bonus, they drink beer and try to... Stay on target! Find them wherever you get your podcasts and listen to the pure mania of a man who can charitably be described as Doug, the dog from Up, and another man with a soothing and sultry voice trying to get that man to... Stay on target! That's the Sounds and Cinema Podcast. Tune in and listen to the sounds they are creating just for you. And we are back once again, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here finishing up the Twilight Saga with Breaking Dawn Part 2. All right, Tom, let's get to it, because there's a lot to talk about. There is. In this final battle. Oh, okay, we're already there. So... My first question to you is, uh-huh. well, what wait. happened to Nessie's digital head? <laughs> right, there's that. <laughs> but is that why the vampires are no longer scared? Was of this her? watching? Was this watching your first watching of the movie, or had you seen no. it before? I've seen it okay. before. On your first viewing, uh, maybe more than maybe more than once. <laughs> oh my God, what? That's fantastic. Sometimes sometimes you want downtime to be downtime, not... I hear you. Think about a complicated movie time. Well, there's nothing but easy problems to solve in these movies. <laughs> exactly. But solved by the most extreme measures, like <laughs> full battles. <laughs> but in this movie... I mean, let's just, let's just tell the audience, spoiler alert, everyone, if you don't know... Yeah. But the entire battle you see is a possible future and does not actually happen. It is a vision. It's Alice's, it's Alice's vision. So how big was that a disappointment on your first viewing? Oh, no. No, no, no. Not at all. Not at all. On my first viewing, to... it was. But it's made up really? for by Michael Sheen. <laughs> Once again. <laughs> But is this? I just, I just liked the idea of. I think on a first viewing, it's kind of like. Yeah. To me, it's kind of like uh, No Country for Old Men. <laughs> I, I I can't wait to hear how you make this connection. I was severely disappointed on my first viewing because I hadn't read the book. Right. That we did not get to see the battle. Mm-hmm. Between, what's his name? Sugar, Sugar, and Lewin. Yeah. Oh, not Lewin. What's his name? Anyway, the character. I think you. I think you're mixing your Coens there. But yeah, okay. exactly. <laughs> yeah, the folks. You know, there's a folk singer, and he fights a, a an assassin. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I yes, you, you because talk, it, like, you're talking about about storylines that that don't 
coagulate in the conflict. That right. I mean, in that movie, you have Josh Brolin, and he's on the mm-hmm. phone with Javier Bardem, and he says, you don't have to come looking for me because I'm going to come looking for you. Mm-hmm. And I felt like in that moment, the Coens had made me a promise. Okay. And it was one that I did not get in that yeah. movie because he's dead, not by, even by Javier Bardem's hands. It's, you know, by by a, a different group of, uh, yeah. you know, gangsters. And mm-hmm. that to me was severely disappointing. Mm-hmm. I went and saw it a second time in the theater and I calmed down a little bit. <laughs> And could appreciate it for what it was. And that's how I feel about this. Yeah. On a first viewing, okay. I, I thought, oh, come on. It was great. First thing that happens is Carlisle loses his head. <laughs> like, it's fucking good stuff. You know, there's actual loss. There's there's mm-hmm. there's going to be shit that happens uh, that the family's going to have to reconcile with. But it was all isn't for the time a, or the place a, for that kind of... <laughs> that isn't the kind of time or the place for that kind of resolution. I mean... How many people would that disappoint who love this series? But that's my point. It's like, so... It was like, don't worry, everybody. It's fine. (laughs) They're all okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's the strength of these movies, though, is... They're, you know... Not too much bad happens to the characters that you love. All right, fine. And this, to me, is the perfect way of doing it, because you can at least... See it. You, yeah, you, you you get the battle that you want, but there are no consequences to it. And they don't jeopardize anyone's happy ending. So, for, the, for again, completely in the context of these I movies. I was going to say, that's what you want right. for dramatic arts. No, no consequences. No, no not at all. <laughs> but then, you know, the first thing I thought of was the Final Destination movies and... Uh, uh-huh. You know, that this because this is the same plot device, the vision walkback. Right. That we saw in those movies. Um But those are although, those set off your movie, don't end it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but um Yeah. It's So that's the difference, I think. Yeah. Like, I can appreciate it, I, I but liked, on a first I, I, viewing, I, I, it made me, yeah. I was like, oh, fuck. But on a, your first viewing, them... you were like, yay! <laughs> I also like the fact that because they have, they're able to walk it all back. And, you know, oh, first of all, how's that different from the Superman and what happens in those movies, but, um, which we love. Uh, they, they could let loose a little bit, like, like you know, there's the earth cracks open. So there's a Wilhelm scream. Right. The music gets all Temple of Doom. It's like you can't really go that far into that territory if you're doing it for real. I don't think, or as enjoyably, mm-hmm. because there's no way you would kill all those characters like that. You would, you would hold back a few, at least. Well, so, I don't think so. You've got plenty. You've got plenty to build on, which we'll be doing this, in our next episode. <laughs> oh, it's all—it's all going to begin with them, like you know, in a plane crash for you. <laughs> They're all going to die anyway, <laughs> just in an entirely different context. Uh, it's a ten-minute movie. Yeah, <laughs> they're on a plane to Rio. It crashes. Roll credits. 
Yeah, and I mean, it's not, you know, anytime there's, we're calling it a vision, but let's face it, it's a dream. Um, anytime you do that, you're in dangerous storytelling territory and everyone will advise you against doing mm-hmm. that. You know, visions are not a new thing in this series. No, of course not. So that's not coming out of left field. The tone of these movies and, and you know, you you wanting to have a positive outcome for the characters after, you know, whatever the conflict in the plot is, is resolved. That's part of this series too. So it's not out of place for me. It's maybe a, a bit of a gimmicky way to do it, but, uh, I appreciate that they, that they don't, that I appreciate that they're not wanting to end, end this on a dark note, because I think that would feel weird, uh, for this series. It's so, um, but it, but it, re- all what of it, this what it did is just me. another example of why you hate Harry Potter and why I loved it. I'm okay with the darker. I am, I am too, but just not, not here. Um, but the 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 biggest problem I had with it was what it again was the sort of, well, it's not quite retconning of visions because it it it's just confusion. <laughs> It's, I don't know if there's a ret confusion. Uh, well, what do you well mean, like retcon. the fact well, that they show it's her... It's not your job to be as confused as Nigel is. Um, <laughs> because, so, visions start off as one thing, they turn into something else, and this scene complicates it even further. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> so, as far as... So, the, like, this is the ti- this is the timeline for how visions operate in the series. Mm-hmm. You can change them with your actions. But they're also party to your actions. Unless they're fixed. (laughs) Right. What's so hard to figure out about that? (laughs) (laughs) You know, so... I don't know what these films are trying to tell me about how these visions work. Because it's different every time. Um... But so that's the only thing that bothered me about the sequence is not playing. They're not playing by their own rules. I think that's a worse crime than bad storytelling. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas I think you. That's probably where we're. Yeah. That's probably where we differ. Yeah. Is that that like I I think not playing by your own rules is a worse crime than bad storytelling, and you maybe think the opposite. I think I think I think we've come to it. Yeah. That's it. The podcast is done, guys. <laughs> I'm out. You're welcome. Didn't even make it to 100 episodes. So we figured it out. We figured it out. But I, I want. I wanted to. I wanted to talk because we. I'm amazed that we. That, that well, I'm amazed that you haven't broached the topic of multi-part movies. Because you. You've got a lot on me. <laughs> Copper. You're right. right. So. I don't know what you're. I'm just like, is he holding back? Like, is he gonna? Is he gonna do a special episode, which is just like a, like a court case? So the tri the trial of Tom Stewart and the multi part movies. <laughs> like, what are you holding back for, Mike? Do you not remember what I said? Oh, I do. So you're right because I've I've been. I've gone easy on you. You've gone easy on me. Because of how much shit yeah. you gave Harry Potter. 
And then when you found out that 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 the first movie was like three quarters of the book, then you really went ape shit. Yeah. I have no idea about these two movies no, with that book. So I can't you know, that was the only thing for me was I can't I can't speak to the book right. as far as that goes. So I think that's why I was kind of laying off. But I mean, what say you about the two part? Because I remember when you said when you the first time you ever brought up two parts, you said that just never works and you can't do yes. it and you shouldn't do it. And I said, what about Kill Bill? Kill Bill. You said, well, OK, yeah, that's the one. That, exception that, that proves the, the exception rule. that proves the rule. But so it can be done. It can be done. I absolutely think that Harry Potter does it better than these two movies. I completely disagree. Of course. So. No, not of course. I mean, I could, I, I could feel that way and still like these movies better. But I actually, I think this is a stronger multi-part. Why? Um, why? Why? Yeah. Because it makes way more sense turning. And I, I agree with you. We're at a bit of disadvantage because we don't know what the book, uh, right. the Breaking Dawn, actually looked like. But. However, you know, the way in which it's adapted, it makes total sense to put to turn these into two movies. They're two distinct movies. As are Harry Potter, Deathly Hallows, part no. one and two. No. As I said, nothing in that first movie, Voldemort goes from winning to winning. Nothing happens. It's three quarters of the story. You could you if you were briefer, you could condense it all together. It's just not like it's not. This these these there's, you know, there's, there's a development of character that's not present. There's in a these very movies, clear div- maybe for There's Bella. a very clear division here. There is a time before and a time after. The time before here is, uh, before she becomes a vampire, when she becomes a vampire. The story, the the Breaking Dawn one is a is a domestic story. The um, the second the second one is an expansive international story. Um, before school, there are two after completely school, completely separate storylines. Before school, after school, MacGuffin looking oh, for more cruxes and destroying he who may not be named. Who he who must not be named. Now you're getting it's, me so mad I can't even remember my proper lines. It's it makes total the, the division here makes total sense. However, the book was. And maybe they juggle things around a little bit, as the sense I get, to make it to make it fit into two movies. But as it stands, you know, you there's a very clear there's a very clear end point. And when you when you resume, you have an entirely different story to I'm tell. I'm honestly just giving you shit. I don't disagree with anything you've said. <laughs> <laughs> But that in itself is cu- is very curious to me, that that uh, there is a, there is a lack of continuity <laughs> between <laughs> between these two movies, as uh, given how much New Moon and Eclipse speak to each other. Yeah, I mean we have talked about that, but that it's almost absurd that these two movies have, apart from the post credit sheen. <laughs> that ties them, that kind of binds them together. them together. Yeah, that's really it. They're two entirely different storylines. I guess, I guess the way Arena is like reacting at the wedding is like foreshadowing 
what happens in this movie. But apart from that, there isn't really that much foreshadowing of what happens in this particular movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And again, we don't know. We don't know if that's the case in the book, too. But I can't, I mean, I cannot imagine. What I can't imagine is Kristen Stewart turning into a vampire within the frame of one movie. Like, I know both these movies can be tighter, and I agree with you, they should be, like, two 90-minute movies. Mm-hmm. But if she were to turn, like, start off the movie as a human, and by the time it ends, she's been a vampire for, like, an, like 45 minutes, that'd be weird. Oh, that's interesting. You, Yeah, you might be right about that. I don't know if she... I don't know. I mean, I think she's... I don't really have problems with her as an actor. I don't think she's got that arc in her. I certainly don't think the people writing the movies right. have... Or will be able to manage that. So I like the fact that they're giving her the time to just come out of the gate as... It's like, I'm I'm just a new character. <laughs> And it's a new movie, so it doesn't so feel it weird. So it doesn't feel weird. All right, fine. I'll tell you what is weird. <laughs> Everything else in this movie. Everything else in this movie. I mean, we have to talk about Jacob, his imprinting, and just it's a great book. fucking hanging around a seven-year-old kid. Yeah. Asking. They hadn't thought. I don't think they thought through the implications oh, of that storyline. No. no, 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 no. It is fucking rough. I my note was, there's nothing okay about falling in love with a seven year old. <laughs> there's just nothing okay with that. You know the like because I'm trying to you know I'm trying to justify what happens in these movies. My initial <laughs> reaction was to say. You know, in response to that, I was like, yeah, but she grows fast. That's not making no, it better. it's not making it That's exactly it better. what a pedophile would say. <laughs> right? They grow up so fast. Yeah. You're arrested. No, oh, she's um, got an old soul. Yeah. It, it, um, it's interesting because if you think about why that happened in the last movie, it, it was about plot convenience. Yeah. Basically... It was so that the vampires and and the um and the werewolves wouldn't still be at war, right? Right. So he he imprints himself on her, and that's it. She's and he has no forever. choice. And look, like in reality, we know that she's going to be a full grown adult in yeah. an actual seven years. She looks like a seven year old, but she's not. You know, <laughs> very strange. But in yeah. seven it years' seems time, like... she'll be an adult. It seems and like the kind of storyline that um, Woody Allen would have written into the movie. Absolutely. That's what I thought of. And I, I think they would have, I think they almost would have been fine if they didn't make make comedy out of it. Because at the end of this movie, he looks over at Edward and says, so should I call you dad? This is not a great joke when he's, they're both looking at the seven-year-old that's in front of them when he says that. Yeah. Ah, fucking shit. Yeah. Um, I agree. I agree. It's in. It's inexcusable. And uh, my sense is they just didn't quite think it through, and they were stuck with it as a plot point, mm-hmm. and they didn't realize how um, 
pedophilic a plot point it would turn out to be. But I also obje- I object to the, I object to it being used comically. I also object to the mining it f- for jealousy as like still part of the love triangle. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, if you don't want me, then I'll You're right hook up with, with your, your kid. daughter. <laughs> what the fuck? Right? That said, I mean, you know, our favorite our favorite line in the series comes out of basically Kristen Stewart reacting with the appropriate amount of anger to what Jacob did. Right. So, so Kristen Stewart in that moment, remember I compared her to like a um, uh, a rough drunk in a parking That's lot right. at like two and two in the morning, and I think that level of anger speaks to the fact that it's like this this really is you really have crossed the line. Um, so I did, I think, yeah, but then there's I no, think, there's no reason think, for them to yeah. be, to anyone to be okay with this at any point in the movie. Right. Um, as they are. All right. Good, good point. No, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. It's really, that's a really important there's some things I can let these movies get away with because they're innocuous. That is not innocuous. Mm-hmm. Of course, all that anti-abortion stuff, fine. <laughs> it's not fine. It's not fine. <laughs> and we brought it up. It's not good. It's, it's not, not good. Yeah. Do you have anything left? Uh, the series in general have, or this movie? What do you think I have oh, left? Oh, we're going to gonna talk, talk credits. Sorry. My my <laughs> mistake. Hey, you know... Uh, uh, you're half right. Credit check, we're gonna ladies talk and gentlemen. Brought to you by as well. Tom Stewart. We're gonna talk. <laughs> we're gonna talk about. Uh, I am your financial advisor. <laughs> we're gonna talk about um, titles and credits too. All right then. Um. First of all, a Lionsgate gonna get their grubby paws on literally every post two thousand sequel we do. <laughs> I'm tired of the last film in the series being owned by Lionsgate. There we go. That's all I have to say about it. All right. Um, Tom will not work for Lionsgate, everyone. The the, the the HBO of it all. I thought the HBO of it all really came out in that very elaborate, stylized title sequence. Like it felt like, Hmm. you know, like a Six Feet Under or a True Blood or, you know, one of those big things. Uh, The classy. Um, also, you know, I don't know if we've talked before. Uh, I think we mentioned briefly Carter Burwell's score, my favorite in the series. Okay. I really like, I love the fact that because the landscape of this movie is so similar to Fargo, that you hear like notes of Carter Burwell's Fargo score in there. It's really nice. I really like that. Um, Recap montage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Second time in two movies. <laughs> and then Edward asked to see the recap montage again. Like they're almost aware. Right. That is true. Rules. I did make a note of that. Um, uh, and then the, then the credits themselves. Very soap opera miniseries style way of doing oh, yeah. the credits at the end with the classic head turn roll call yeah. <laughs> right. um which i thought was you know if there is a if there's a stylistic level for this series it really came out in that final credit sequence mm-hmm. 
yeah, Twilight is basically as like a soap opera miniseries. Um, and then you get the 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 last line of the, the last line and word of the book. Yes, right. Is seen right. on screen, and then when the characters are when the characters get their credits, you see. Um, their introductions in the books. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, there's been this overall trend of trying to marry together the 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 literary. Well, I think yeah, it, it, it lends itself to like, the romantic nature of the movies. It's just sort of romanticizing the books themselves, right? Yeah, and earlier on in the movie, the Merchant of Venice is is yeah uh, right. Used as like a spy code <laughs> yes. at one point. Uh, so I thought that was a, that was a kind of a nice touch, and again, it made me. Without, I will never read these books, but um, <laughs> but it sort of made me want when this thing is like, oh god, how how close are these movies? Um, yeah, right. If they're if they're going that far to sort of say like they're one and the same. <laughs> <laughs> But apart from that, you know, I just the the nerve of Michael Sheen to uh, tell another actor on screen to tone down his behavior. I mean, where does he where does he get off doing that? <laughs> That's great. He's uh... oh, and that that was the other thing, like the the where you know, obviously Michael Sheen is is just you know, makes everything more fun. Mm-hmm. But I did think one of the things that gave more justification to walking back that vision was that it gave the Michael Sheen's character and the way he plays it, I think it's very clear. It gave him the justification to walk away from the fight. Yeah. Like up until that so, point. And that even works dramatically. Yeah. Like that makes sense for his character. Yeah. yeah, and basically, so it's like, you know, they need a reason for him to walk away and not fight everyone, and that's a pretty good yeah. one, you know, because he just saw his head being ripped off mm-hmm. um, in the dream. So, uh, I like that, and having Michael Sheen there. I think that's part of the Dakota, reason I calmed down Fanning, after a first good. viewing. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder if other people felt like you did. Oh, I was going to mention that earlier, that I don't know what the ratio is of like to hate on that. So people are going to have to tell us. Like a jump the shark moment? Yeah. It could be a jump the shark. I mean, anything that <laughs> where a dream rears its ugly head is going <laughs> to rankle people. Um, yeah, interesting. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to have to tell us what you think of the vision ending of Twilight Saga, the Twilight Saga, Breaking Dawn Part 2. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Send us an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com. For Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, I am Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. That's it. For Twilight so- or uh, Breaking Dawn Part 2, we're going to be pitching sequels next, Tom. Say goodbye. I hated the first British invasion. I hate the second one even more. <laughs> nice. Take care, everyone.